Hey friends, here we are again, another episode of the More Than Punk podcast. I'm your host, as always, Seb Mackay, and this week, I'm really excited to bring you Joe Mabry from Capstan. Their new album, Separate, came out on the 23rd of July, which was, I think, the same day that the new Sleepwaker album came out. Two excellent albums, same day release. It was a good day for music that day. So like I say, super excited to bring you Joe from Capstan. Man, we really get into it on this week's episode. It's about an hour long. It's a really, really great, really deep chat. Um, And I think we end it on a really nice message too. So I'm really keen for you guys to hear this one and for you to check it out. Also, make sure you stream that album of theirs, Separate. It's out at the moment. Hell, even buy a copy. I know I say that every week, but fuck it. You know, throw some money at the band's way. So this is Joe, Capstan. See you at the end of the episode. Hey, dude, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. I, re- I realized that's kind of like a slightly suck up thing to say, like, but I want to start <laughs> on a good note, you know? <laughs> so I saw that you did a, did, I was going to say single, but a song slash single with Shane from Silverstein. I am a huge Silverstein fan and like I I've interviewed him I know that he's he's like an awesome guy but when you're doing that kind of in a pandemic remote sort of thing and he's sort of sending you voice files is it like what's that vibe like how's it different to kind of being in the studio with someone that you would like otherwise be geeking out over do you just like delete emails and rewrite them a hundred times <laughs> yeah great question I guess um yeah it's I mean, first of all, it was definitely a full circle moment for us, like like it was when we got to tour with them the first time. But like, you know, a band that I've, you know, looked up to and idolized since I was like 15 and, you know, having Shane on, on our record like that was so cool. Um, but yeah, it, you know, um, Anthony like reached out to him um, and, uh, you know, Shane was he said he was stoked on the song, really liked it. And um <clears throat> Yeah, he uh, he he uh, sent us like um, the parts. Just he recorded them. He has like a home recording set up, you know. And uh, it, it was um, uh, it, we felt like the the track itself kind of uh, lent itself to Shane. Like he sounds really like he belongs on the track. I think I think it fits his voice really well. Um, but yeah, it definitely was uh, interesting. Like you know, um, that was the first time we'd ever done like this record's really the first time we've ever done any real like features um and uh yeah so we were all beyond excited to have him you know on on the record um but yeah you know it it definitely would have been awesome if he could have you know been in the studio with us but still we're very happy with the finished product and how it turned out so that's uh, really right yeah (laughs) (laughs) do you know that band's um they're not, I don't know if they're still going. They're from the Netherlands um, called Sonic Syndicate. 
Mm, doesn't sound too familiar. So they they're I mean they were around a long time ago and they sort of went through this like identity crisis thing where they changed from sort of being metalcore to being kind of like a pop rock sort of band. Um, it, it was a weird time in everyone's lives. Um, <laughs> but they did a fantastic feature with Speed from Soilwork, um, Bjorn, and the, their whole thing was like. They wanted to because you don't have a lot of features. The you know the vocal vocalist might sing at the same time, right? And it sort of blends the voices together. Their whole thing was that they wanted it to feel like the vocalists were competing. So it would be you know a, a chorus or a line or a verse by one guy and then the other. And so you listen to it and it's this kind of super intense experience. Like for you guys, how do you write features? Like and like I realize you said it's the first time you've done it but did you sort of go in and say okay this song screams Shane these are the parts that we want him to you know sing and obviously Shane being you know is going to bring his own flavor to it right and his own approach and style so how does that kind of work yeah so um to be completely honest uh, like these songs were written um a couple weeks or months before we ended up in the studio. And until we got into the actual recording studio, we hadn't really talked too much about doing features. We weren't sure if like the label had much of a, a budget for anything like that. And, um, but you know, once we started throwing the ideas around, um, yeah, like th the track had already been written. Like it, the part wasn't really written specifically in mind for Shane, but the, like, it's more of the process of like when you have this whole record written out already, kind of going through the songs and seeing uh, which parts kind of like spoke to us as like being fitting for somebody to do a guest appearance on. And uh, I think, yeah, that song hands down kind of stood out to us as like this sounds right for him. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the way we, we did it. Um, and, you know, we had talked about like we wanted to do some more, but it just kind of wasn't in the cards with everything. Like um, the first track of the record is is a little bit of a heavier track, and um, there was one like breakdown in it that we we were trying to get like a, a guest like uh, like heavier vocalist from like a heavy band, but um, it didn't quite work out with our time constraints and everything as well. Um, but yeah, it's just like certain parts. Um, once everything's written out, kind of more or less, sort of will reveal themselves right to like if it fits to be somebody else is that um sort of wizard of oz thing right where like the curtain goes back so far but then it kind of starts to sort itself out build its own you know its own thing yeah for sure <clears throat> i want to ask you about the time constraints because i i think like me and i've talked about this a lot on the show one of the things i love about albums as an art form as opposed to you know like novels and, and that kind of thing is you have such a limited space to say what you want to say unless you're dream theater or like okay yeah. right like there are obvious exceptions but like you generally got like three and a half minutes and what i'm curious about is like you start out as a band right you write songs and that kind of thing you can kind of have your whole life to write like that for that perfect first record but then when you join an out you know, a label, like you say, you have time constraints and deadlines and all that kind of thing. So the difference between those, did you feel like, do you feel like being on a label and having time constraints kind of focuses you more and stops you from getting like lost in the, you know, the weeds of forever changing songs? Um, You know, I, I guess like, so like with that example I just gave, it was like, 
with like getting guest vocalists and features on it, uh, that idea kind of, we slept on it. So it was sort of late in the process. And like, we were in the middle of like getting everything ready and like the label wanted, they had deadlines for the mixes because we, we had already been in the studio, but I mean, typically, um, we have never, um, felt too pressured by any sort of like, you know, deadline to, to turn something into the label as far as like, on a songwriting level, like, oh, these songs aren't done. I'm getting scared. Like, you know, um, especially for this record, because all we did, um, you know, because we were on tour as soon as uh, at the beginning of COVID and like when the pandemic started. And so uh, we were like three days into a tour and then came off the road. And uh, all, all we did over the whole quarantine, because like most of us all live together. So like all we did was write music and like we actually ended up spending more time on this record hands down than we have on any other thing we've released before. So uh, we, we really ripped it apart over and over and over again because we didn't even have anything else to do. So um, so this one, yeah, I, you know, definitely never felt any any pressure, but it did. It, I mean, you mentioned kind of getting lost in the creative sauce, as it were, like we 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 definitely had those moments because um, we had a, a a goal that we wanted to make by far the best record we've ever done and we wanted every track to be good we wanted no filler tracks and so we we cut so much material on in the writing process of this like nearly as many songs as we ended up with we cut probably like nine or ten songs almost so we had never done anything like that before so that was like a new experience and there were times when it's like because we were grinding like we, we like treated it like a job we we would meet six or seven days a week and just stay together all day and right and like so there are times when you know you get a little fatigued from that and it's like it feels a little like you're banging your head up against the wall when certain tracks aren't working out the right way but uh eventually you do get out of those slumps and then you know it seems to be very worth it for all the like headaches you put into like you know being more critical than ever of the art you're trying to make so <clears throat> I know that for me, when I make like super intense creative things, I tend to have to take a break between finishing the thing and being able to sort of like edit and improve the thing. And after what you've just been talking about, I kind of want to ask you if you hate the album, but that'll come across in the wrong sort of way. But, you know, is there like now that you've done it and it's it's about to go out into the world in a couple of days, not be out when this goes out are you kind of taking like taking a break from sort of listening to it from rehearsing and just going, I need to like let that sit somewhere else or I'm going to smack my head against a wall. Yeah. Uh, at this point now, a few months later, it's not as bad with all that. Like, uh, I mean, we went into the studio in December. So like, you know, the first couple months of the year, I was like, I cannot listen to this album ever again. <laughs> but like um, uh, now, now it's like, I'm back at the point where like, I'm practicing all the material heavily and stuff like that. Just like, it's fun to play. And, but I mean, you mentioned like hating the album. Um, I, I know uh, <laughs> this one, not yet, but I mean, just like I hate every other thing I've done in the past. I'm sure there may be a day when I hate this one too, because I mean, I feel like that's just like being like, I feel like that's almost necessary to be like a, a good artist or musician. You really have to <laughs> hate everything you've ever done. Cause uh, that's like it's such a cliche but it's like that's what drives you to like make something better right um and sometimes the next thing we make 
people don't think that it's better, but you know, as long as like you have that to kind of keep you going. Um, but yeah, I like for this record, it's definitely, I mean, everybody in the band is, we're the most proud of this, uh, compared to anything we've ever made. So I feel, I feel like it's that weird thing with art, right? Where as soon as you make it and you put it out into the world, specifically when you put it out into the world, it stops being yours. And it becomes kind of everyone else's. And at the same time, you're like, yeah, but like opinions are like assholes, right? <laughs> and you're kind of going like, people are going to rag this. People aren't. They're going to love it. Like, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a weird thing. Like, I find that for me, and I realize that podcasting is a very, like, different thing. But I find that it draws a certain, it takes a certain kind of person to put up with my personality, you know? And to sort of want to, like, be in and out. Because it is like sitting beside two people at a bar and like listening in on a conversation whereas you know for music we can just take like all of ourselves and our internal sort of struggles and just shove it onto the music that we're listening to until it kind of fits what we want it to fit right yeah that's the beauty of it is like even even though you know it's not specifically about you like i feel like all the all the greatest music that at least i personally have ever loved is like what even though this person's talking about themselves I still feel like it applies to me, like same thing, you know, like, yeah, that's the the relatability of it. So how do you approach that from like a songwriting perspective? And I, and I guess what I, I don't want to, um, you know, pull the curtain back too far. Right. Cause I like the idea of there being sort of mystery around the process, but when you're writing and you're thinking, okay, people are going to hear this and they're going to take different things from it. Do you sort of deliberately obfuscate or do you try to be, you know, direct in, in the words and the language that you use? Or is it, do you just kind of write whatever comes out and then you go, like, this is me, this is how I write. People will do what they want with it anyway. Right, I guess, so personally, like lyrically in the style that I kind of go for is I am, um, I would say I'm, I'm less vague and cryptic and I'm definitely more just kind of upfront about, you know, how I'm feeling. That's where my lyrical <laughs> inspiration comes from primarily. Um, I feel like a big thing that people specifically, especially in our genre of music, a big thing that people relate to and can see and sense in songwriting is honesty. So like, I, I just felt like, um, you know, I, I was going through a lot of uh, really emotional stuff in my personal life as I was writing all these songs. And so it was very much like a release to just kind of like talk about how I felt, but also, in a way that wasn't super specific about me but so i mean you know there are a lot of people that already have like with the singles we've released who really relate to like some of the lyrical content and um <clears throat> yeah it, it's just you know you gotta like it when it comes to writing about personal emotional uh you know life struggle type topics like you just have to to be completely honest and sort of uh kind of bury yourself in a way you know to it make something that's i don't know memorable or or people can really connect with <clears throat> and you know that that goes that that's that's more specifically like our genre like i said there there are plenty of excellent songs and great songwriters who like it's not about that like you know like i mean i i love like metal bands and like prog metal and stuff and that that's not what that type of music is about but you appreciate it for different reasons <clears throat> yeah yeah totally it's the game that we play um it's i had a question 
no, I had a question. Obviously, we're doing we're doing an interview, um, but it was I was just thinking like when you're when you're talking about that kind of stuff, and is it easy to be out there and that open and that honest, or is it something that you have to build yourself up to? Like, I mean, because when you're standing on stage and you've got obviously all all that you know people singing, you're enjoying the vibe, like and all that kind of stuff, right? But it's a very different environment to being in, like a you know, a songwriting frame of mind or like being in a vocal booth or whatever. Like, do you, have you had to kind of build yourself up to be like, I'm uncomfortable with this level of honesty, but I know that it's important for my art. Yeah. I mean, I'll be uh, totally honest again here and I'll say that. That's um, what we love. <laughs> yeah. So as I was writing these songs, like a lot of it has to do with like, um, I got divorced at the beginning of the year and um, a lot of it, the record has to do with like my relationship ending with my ex-wife and um i started to write these things i started to write all these lyrics and uh you know stuff addressing my depression and the poor mental state that i was in uh at the time before i told anybody about how i was actually feeling so like i you know the the other guys in the band are my best friends like we're all like absolutely my best friends in the world so like if i could talk to anybody it would be them but like i was like <laughs> bringing all these lyrics and like stuff to the table but i wasn't actually being honest personally with like the people that i'm close to about how i was actually feeling so that was a little weird like <laughs> and then you know um once everything happened and you know i split with my ex and all this stuff everyone's like oh I see what you were writing this whole time. So so that was a little kind of backwards, I guess. Um, but, you know, I, I don't mind like um, really talking about those intimate details in, in, like in, in the form of, you know, songwriting and stuff like that. I just um, I have more of a hard time talking about it with the people that I'm close to. Like, I, it's almost like you know like i don't know the fans of capstan personally like you you it's like almost confessing to a stranger like as it were you know like that uh, there's like and a lot of people like that there's like a certain amount of confidence to that like like people will tell their secrets to a random person on a bus because it doesn't really matter you know so um i guess that was some of it for me too <clears throat> And you were saying before that, like, with the singles out, people are already connecting with it. And, you know, you obviously have a different context with the lyrics than what they've got, right? And we talked about how people kind of mash that stuff together. But when people are coming to you saying, hey, like, I love this song because it helped me get through this or it means this to me, how does that um, change your perspective on, like, what you're writing about or what you're thinking about? Like, Because I imagine that, I mean, like, fan, we're open with bands, right? Like, as fans, we don't, we don't think twice about, like, telling bands that, like, you know, I was having the worst time of my life and your music, like, saved my life. And I can't even imagine what kind of pressure that is. But how does it change your, your perspective on what you're writing about? I guess it's really just uh, so reaffirming, right? So, like, it, that, it's such a, I mean it's an it's a wonderful amazing feeling when like you meet like especially like when we were still touring you know um we uh we would make it a point to talk to anybody any of our fans who wanted to like you know meet us and say hi we'd always hang out at the merch table end of the night after the show and and people have said those very things that you're talking about they've come up to us and been like you know um 
I like we even had uh, there was a guy I remember he he like uh, was a recovered heroin addict and he told us like how much our, our music meant to him and his recovery and just like a, a lot of really you know touching things like that like um, <clears throat> it makes you like any doubt that you ever had like well, why am I doing this which. It, it, it those thoughts aren't typical like but they they do still happen i'm sure they happen to everybody in this type of field who's trying to do this sort of thing but like it, it's like this is all it, it's all worth it like you know uh, because <clears throat> that's the prime i mean that's like the primary reason i wanted to start making music myself is because like you know i had sort of a rough childhood teenage years were like really shitty and music was absolutely my outlet and my escape and you know i would love to be able to be that for somebody else the way that you know it was for me so and that's like i mean the song with shane on it um the lyrics are all about that pretty much they're about music and like you know uh the comfort and safety you can find in it so having that song be about that and it, it, and additionally having the vocalists of like a band that I listened to when I was a teenager feeling those same feelings. It was like even more like it's meant to be or something. I don't know. It's been <laughs> fucking wild, man. I remember when I got confirmation that Shane was coming on the show and I was just like, no fucking way. Like no fucking way. <laughs> and I was so ready for like the earth to explode or like something to happen to like stop it from like happening. Right. And then like right. we go on the call and he's like there and I'm like, holy shit, this is happening. Um, do you get imposter syndrome? Oh yeah. All the time. <laughs> uh, especially like when it comes to the more like kind of uh, performance, like technical side of like playing my instrument and writing and like some, like that's the thing is like for me, like I talked about, you know, hating my work and stuff like in retrospect, like that always happens is like, it's like, God, how am I here doing this right now? I feel like I'm so I'm not qualified or I just am like, how, how did I end up here? But then, you know, that's, that's one of the things that is also great about like recording is like, you can, you can hear yourself later in a different context. And it's not like, cause when, when, you know, you hear everything through your own you know filter through your ears or through even like when you're writing lyrics and, and other things like that or when i'm writing melodies for anthony to sing that i'm not actually performing it's still it's still so personal and it, it you know i'm viewing everything through myself and being super critical of it but then when you get that sort of positive affirmation from you know other people and you know they tell you that it really means something to them or that they think it's great like that that definitely kind of helps get your head out of the whole <laughs> i don't belong here type of mentality but yeah that's a definitely a big thing i think it's it's um how do i phrase it? it's an odd right like i've been in the music industry like on and off for kind of a decade on this side of it right? i don't play shows or anything um and so what happens for us generally is that you have a sort of really slow like rise, right? So you'll start writing articles, people don't won't really know who you are and that kind of thing. And then people start tweeting at you, being like, hey, I liked your article, I like your podcast, whatever, like that sort of shit, which is great and fine. But when you're in a band and you start to like gain momentum, 
and you know just like talking about the imposter syndrome thing and then you're on a label like fearless and you've got pr people being like look at this band like what prepares you for that does anything prepare you for that kind of here's the spotlight um i guess not so much specifically i guess one of the things that kind of maybe helped for that is the fact that like my band like capstan we have I mean, you mentioned a slow build, like ours has been very slow. We were never one of those, like we've almost been a band for 10 years now. Like we we were never one of those bands that like they drop that second EP or something and it just blows up. And then all of a sudden they're on all these huge tours. Like it's been a very slow climb for us. Um, so I think that it being so gradual kind of helps slowly, you know, you're dipping the toe in the water <laughs> as it were. So, um, I think that has made it a, a little easier for us be, uh, because, you know, some bands, especially, and the fact that we're all a little bit older too than, you know, most people in bands that are more up and coming, right? So like we're all in our thirties um, as opposed to just being like a 21 year old kid who just like is in a band now that's like touring, like, 2000 cap rooms out of nowhere and like then there's all this press and stuff and like you're not used to it i can see how that like um especially i think bands like that sometimes that pressure tends to make really good young up-and-coming bands sort of you know kind of have internal problems and struggle with certain things so <clears throat> we're a little bit fortunate i guess in that regard <clears throat> I feel like when you're 21, you don't even really know your face from your asshole. I mean, when you know, at least no. when you're a guy. <laughs> Absolutely. I could not agree more. I was like, I mean, we, me and the other guys all talk too, because it's like, it were like, we were all so sort of wild when we were that age too. We're like, if we had gotten an opportunity when we were all 20, if we even all knew each other when we were 20 and we're in a band, like we probably would have imploded from just being idiots. So we're lucky. Yeah, I remember talking to um, Danny, the drummer in Carpool Tunnel, and he's he's about that age now. And they've like, it was, it's, it gave me a grand old man moment when he talked about like growing up, listening to music on his phone, you know, because I was like, cassettes and then cds and all the rest yeah. of it and i was like oh fucking okay but it's it's amazing how grounded and how like well some people have their heads on their shoulders you know like i know that for me i would have been i would have been off the off the rails do you feel like there's like as an odd like i was gonna say older band um that makes me sound like a dick as a band that's been around for you know like almost 10 years do you kind of look at younger bands and see like see that there's a lot of pressure on them to kind of you know, make it as quickly as possible? I mean, I, I think a little bit, uh, you know, in some of the limited experience I have, you know, with my personal interactions with like other younger bands, like, uh, I mean, I, I feel like you can kind of tell certain things, especially like um, there have been certain bands we've sort of either toured with or kind of know and like played shows with and stuff that are, their members are primarily younger. And you can just sort of see like, uh, I feel like it's relatively common, like a, a sort of lack of, it's very, they tend to be a lot of times very, uh, I guess, aloof and uh, sort of just like maybe not as professional or taking things quite as seriously as they ultimately should just because they don't really know any better yet. 
And I probably would have been just as guilty, if not more so, had I been in that situation when I were 20 years old. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I definitely do see that. <clears throat> One of the things I always love talking to people about is the like business side of being a band. And I found out recently that um, Jeremy from The Devil Was Prada met, is, is now their tour manager. And he manages sort of all the bands like finances and, and ins and outs and stuff. And I was... I was surprised by that, not in like a, I didn't think he would ever do that since, but in like a, oh, you know, it's a new challenge kind of thing. For you guys, when, when did you start thinking, okay, if, if we're really going to nail this, we have to start thinking like a business, not just like a group of guys having fun. Like, what was that learning curve like? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so we definitely were just a group of guys having fun up through like our first two tours even like so i mean the first time we toured was 2015 in the summer and that was before we had any sort of type of affiliation with management or anyone who knew what the fuck they were doing <laughs> so we we like the the whole tour was pretty much booked by boz our bassist um with some help from like some of the other bands we were sort of like doing sectional parts with um and so like we were straight DIY. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't keep track of anything. We didn't like the the very little bit of merch we have. Like we weren't keeping track of what we were selling or anything. Like we were just doing all the rookie mistakes. Um, and yeah, it was really later in 2016 after we finished our second tour, which was like our first full US where we like drove out to California and did all that, um, that we we started um making sort of a connection with uh andrew cram who became our manager um and we had released uh our ep cultural divide which was sort of like the starting point to actually gaining some traction as a band and then um having um jesse uh, at the end of 2016 come out with us on our third tour uh jesse labar who is now actually our uh manager uh, but he started out as our tour manager having him come out with us and like actually start to you know do some of the the proper stuff that you're supposed to do when you're touring keeping track of expenses and receipts and, and you know keeping a sheet and a table for what you're selling like all, all those things like it started to sort of click because like I'll, I'll admit like when it comes to the band stuff i am the furthest removed from like treating it like a business or knowing any of that stuff like i was just there to make music and play music live and and you know have fun too but um <clears throat> yeah it took like bringing in that outside level like because the, before then the closest thing we had to that was really like boz was kind of like sort of filling in that role but still not in the way that we ultimately needed so yeah for us it was we we had to get that sort of outside kick in the butt to to kind of move in that direction i think the thing is is that everyone comes to it from that same place right it doesn't matter what side of the industry you're on like if you're in this part of music you do it because you like it first and foremost and then i think there comes a point where you go okay if i'm going to take this seriously i'm going to have to make some money and then you sort of go how do i do that you know like what's the what's the the sort of great big void at the end of this thing that i have to fill to to make enough cash and one of the things that 
has been really interesting. Um, I, I can't remember who said it to me, but this sort of guy in a, a thrash metal band was talking about how obviously no one's been touring for the past year and he feels like a sort of glorified T-shirt salesman um, at this point. And, and it, but it gets you thinking, right? Like for you guys, if you started, you know, do you look at stuff and go, shit, we need to set up like a Patreon. We need to like start producing, you know, it's a, it's a sort of content economy. Like do you, do you look at ways to, try and diversify the music or do you just stay true to like, we're going to play shows. That's how we're making a living record sales, t-shirt sales and just keep on like blinders on. Yeah. I think now recently, especially in the past couple of years, we've all sort of gotten a bit better um, at definitely viewing it. Like, you know, we want this to be our career for the rest of our lives. Right. So like thinking about, all the aspects of being in a band professionally, not just necessarily the music, but I will still say that I am because I'm the guy who like I'm always just like writing and I'm the, probably the most music focused out of anybody in the band. So like I still v play very little <laughs> of a role in that whole thing. Um, but yeah, like when it comes to just like formulating ideas about like you know like you mentioned things like patreon and like how to produce more better content how to engage fans how to you know think of you know better types of merch and things to sell like things that grab people connect with people like those are things that you know everybody in the band i think puts a lot more thought into now but especially a lot of it really comes from having like a good manager who's really oriented into sort of because i mean ultimately is a business but like our manager is great at like kind of trying to think about ways to collect and like maximize profits that like some a lot of bands just sort of sleep on certain things that like you know they could definitely you know make some more money and like the the ultimate goal of this is still like you know i do it because i love it but like if you want it to be your career it needs to pay your bills right and like so you, you've got to kind of go for some of the things that you might not necessarily think of right away that that can help support your life um there are a lot of just untapped sort of faucets as it were uh in, in little things that you might not even think of <clears throat> it's it's funny like i've seen a few bands moving towards apps i think um state champs are doing something around like you do a subscription paris has got like an app now and i think nick deep is doing something um and it's that whole thing of you know you pull people in with subs and they get extra content and stuff and it's an odd one in our community i think especially our community because you know we were talking before about the connections that people make with bands and how much the music means to them that no one really kind of likes talking about the finance side of it, you know, like it feels kind of dirty to be like, hey, we actually want to be able to make like enough money to have a big house and to like eat on more than 10 bucks a day. And, you know, all that shit that you would get from like a salary job. Yeah, it's, you know, you don't want to be perceived as being just like money hungry, like you're in it for just I want to be rich, like and but yeah, <laughs> like not even that, like I. I don't want to be rich. I just would like to be able to pay my rent. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> like that's my goal with this. So yeah, or like buy a house one day, you know? Yeah, that would be cool. I don't know, <laughs> but um, 
yeah, I, I get that because it is easy to be perceived like you're just kind of greedy, especially like because there are still a lot of misconceptions from people that don't understand like um, bands like at, even like some mid-sized bands like they don't make as much money as a lot of people think that they do, you know, so like um, and some bands are really good and smart on the business side of things. And even though they're not that big, they do make a lot of money because they've done a lot of really smart business things when it comes to their, to their band. So, but yeah, I mean, ultimately that's never been us. We're not a bunch of entrepreneurial geniuses in the music world. So, uh, yeah, for us, it's just like, uh, like we still all, mainly work like side jobs and stuff like especially without touring because that's touring is one of the biggest income generators for bands so you know it's you know we're we're in it for many years and we're still not exactly paying the bills with it yet so which is i mean it's a super common thing right like let live for a band for but a decade before they released the black is beautiful. And then it started to like really take off for them. And it's, I think a lot of people um, rightly or wrongly, like I don't mean to be a dick about it. See sort of still see bands in, in that sort of Metallica, like Iron Maiden era where it was like, you, you got massive advances and you could buy loads of cocaine and a big house. And then you just went on tour to pay off like your debt to the record label, you know, but that whole thing has obviously shifted so much over the past kind of like, what 40 years oh yeah it's not yeah it's i mean there's there's not a a ton of i mean especially just like if if you go see a band and you're in like the tiniest little shitty dive bar which is like still where we play half the time it's like i don't know why you would think we're making money because if we were we wouldn't be playing here <laughs> it's it's funny when it, or like when you see bands in um different countries that would otherwise be that are like that are really big in some places and not in others <clears throat> excuse me so like a really good example is um frank turner and the sleeping souls like he would play sort of wembley stadium in london he's from london but then he would come down to new zealand and he would play like a 300 cap venue you yeah. know and and obviously that costs like a lot of money and you know people tour australia and all that kind of stuff but it, it's always interesting seeing how things like scale for bands and don't scale necessarily you know and it's been you know it's a big one for us at the moment in the uk because they now that brexit's happened because mm -hmm. you know it's yeah. <laughs> it's like people band, you know i'm talking to bands and they're going well you know touring europe just got really hard and really expensive so like are we better to just save up and just tour the us you know there's no question there i'm just running commentary on the local scene <laughs> you know yeah i i've heard that as well because now it's like just because nobody wants to go only tour the uk because like you you're that close to the rest of mainland europe and like a bunch of other markets so like you want to do both but then like yeah traveling back and forth across the borders is harder and like we've only done europe once and it was very difficult and expensive and so like you know that was 2019 so and we, we still say now that it's going to be a couple years at least before we try to go back like probably God damn it yeah yeah <laughs> i know <laughs> i mean as much as we would love to um because yeah we did we had uh supported trash boat over there on their headliner and uh it was amazing but yeah it's uh 
it's just so financially taxing to be able to go over there. But, you know, we'll definitely be back at some point. <clears throat> the the scale of the American market always blow. And I like I moved from small island to small island, right? So like the scale of the American market always blows my mind. The fact that you can just get in a car and essentially drive forever and play yeah. shows like what, four nights a week, five nights a week. I just, I can't get my head around how any of that works. <laughs> Yeah, that is a, a, one of the things that we are very lucky with here in the States, like bands being able to do that. It's relatively inexpensive, you know, to just, I mean, get a cheap piece of crap van and just start doing the thing. Like, that's what we had to start doing to get any traction was, you know, play those shows in front of <laughs> two people a night <laughs> for a couple of weeks, you know. But you have to do that. You have to start somewhere. You're essentially winning the lottery if you're in a new up and coming band and like your first tour is in front of people like <laughs> that's not very common. <laughs> like, um, you know, so yeah, as opposed to like, it's got to be hard for, I mean, if you want to be in a band in like this scene or genre of music and like you live in like, uh, you know, e e like Australia is not the most extreme example because there's still places to play and stuff, but it's way more difficult there. You're not near nearly as many markets, but like I can only imagine if you're like in like Jakarta or something, it's like, wait, like, how do you even do it? Like. You know, but there are bands out there that do like they're from those places and like it, it just it's that much more respect owed to them because, you know, they didn't have it as easy. Like, you know, we have hundreds of a markets like we can go to and just to, and pay for gas. That's it. You know, <clears throat> there's a weird um, culture here. I think we get so much cool stuff in places like London that there can be a sort of sense that when you go to a show to see a band. People are just standing around like with their arms folded being like, fuck you, impress me. Like I could have been anywhere else tonight. Like you better earn this. Um, and uh, like I've been to America a few times, right? Like Americans at shows always seem wonderful and that kind of thing. But does it feel harder now to sort of carve out a space for yourself in the market? Like there's just so many bands, you know, doing the thing like you said, just getting in bands or live streaming or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely the market is more saturated than it's ever been. That's true. Um, but no, I think I feel like, you know, there are also more people with more diverse tastes. And there are always there are always going to be people who are interested in finding new music and like exploring new genres. And uh, so, you know, I, I I don't think that it's ever going to reach a point where it, it just becomes like there are too many people trying to do it versus uh you know because ultimately you know the bands that i mean the proof is kind of in the pudding so to say because like it, it bands will just become successful if you if you put in the time and effort and people think your music is good yeah it may it may take years for enough people to hear it for it to start snowballing but you know it it will happen if you have a good product and you put in the time the 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 main problem with bands that don't is like they either they have internal personal issues or you know they give up before things really start getting to where they could be because they get discouraged and things like that but um yeah i you know <clears throat> i think that uh that there will always be room for for more people and more bands and, and i think as long as you're willing to persevere like uh like you guys yeah i mean you can yeah. you can 
you can find success. You just got to be willing to put in years of your life and like make it. And, and I, I think people that really want to do it and really want to make music, like uh, they have no problem doing that. What's the thing that makes you like dig deep and keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing? Um, definitely a little bit of it is kind of like what I already said earlier about like kind of wanting to be an outlet for people in the way that music was for me, um, kind of the giving back aspect. But then the other is just, I have wanted to make music since I was a little, little kid and I can't imagine living life where I'm not actively at least writing and recording and putting music out into the world. Like I love touring. I love playing live. I love the energy of it uh, more so even in the moment than when I'm not there because there's just something intangible about it almost that you can feel when you're there with people that, you know, you, it's easy to forget about. And I love all of that. But my true love of music is, is just is the writing process and is, you know, recording and making something that is going to be around forever, even if people don't listen to it forever necessarily, but, uh, you know, just that process of creation. So like, I want to do that. Even, even if I have to self fund it or do other things on the side to make money, I want to do that. I will do that until I'm old and dying. So <laughs> yeah, that, that I, I just couldn't live life without that. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I mean, I, lo I love that. I've been super curious too around, like, we were talking about the writing process and I just lost my fucking train of thought completely. <laughs> Happens to me all the time. <laughs> my God, there used to be, I'm probably going to leave this in. There used to be a time where I would um, turn up to interviews and I would have like a list of like questions, prompts. And at some point I got cocky and I stopped doing that. And I just started freeballing them all. And um, the funny thing about it is, it's like generally I'm pretty good at keeping my shit together, but the moment it slips up, it's just like sheer fucking panic. You know, it's just like, <laughs> oh my God, I have nothing to ask. Like ask him what his favorite color is. Like, fuck. <laughs> I should have brought the cue cards. <laughs> yeah, I should have brought the cue cards. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I'm a, honestly, I'm a mess. Um, we're talking about the writing process and obviously, you know, you've got the new singles out. What I want to know is how do you choose which singles to put out? How much does that process suck? Yeah, I mean, it, it was tough uh, for this record, especially because, you know, all of us in the band, like I kind of said earlier, um, are very proud of the record. And we thought that all the tracks were, were great, um, but it it did. We, we basically do it by consensus with the five of us in the band, what everybody thinks. And then additionally, uh, we take our, our manager's opinion of it as well. And then also, um, for example, the producer slash mix engineer that we worked with, uh, machine, you know, we kind of took his advice on what he thought were some of the strongest tracks as well, but it can be extremely difficult, you know, to sort of pick, especially when you think you've got 10 really good songs. Um, but there were, there were on this record, there were three, three tracks that we, everybody in the band and our manager, uh, Jesse, we were all like, yeah, these three have to be singles for sure. We, we weren't sure exactly of the order right away. Um, but that was nice because I mean, in the past it's been like, nobody was on the same page when we thought like about what a single should be. Um, 
So this one had a little bit more of a consensus to it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it was still difficult kind of choosing the other two and um, especially the order that they would go in. Uh, but uh, ultimately, we, we are very happy that that the label also let us release as many singles as we have. So like the idea of doing like five singles before the record came out, um, what we thought was more of a, like a better play. It seems to be um, a bit more common for bands to be releasing more singles these days. And we would have liked to maybe have spread it out even a little further, but <laughs> um, we're still, you know, glad we got to release as many songs because it, it you know, it kind of, people lose attention really quick these days and it's, you know, it's good to just kind of keep a steady stream of content going. Um, you know, and we, but we did sing a single every two weeks until now the record's coming out uh day after tomorrow so um yeah we, we were we were just be, uh, stoked to be able to just keep putting the songs out there <clears throat> yeah of mice and men recently did the um timeless ep but they were like you know we could write an album but like you know we've done 10 albums we're not it's not literally 10 like mm -hmm. we're gonna do something different and so they're just like two track eps just peppered throughout the year and i think it's a really interesting way to approach it um I still like to listen to to albums top to bottom. You know, like I got I got your new record, and I was like, I'm going to start here, and I'm going to work my way down, <laughs> like a grumpy old bastard. Um, but it, it's interesting seeing like how that all that stuff changes, and like what it means to each band is always sort of like slightly different as well. You know, like you definitely get guys that are or bands, I should say, that are really dug in, and they're like bands release three singles and we're going to do that and we're going to do that until we die and then you yeah. get other bands you know like i said like of mice and men they go eh, albums are you know cool but like let's mix it up a little bit you know yeah there's a really cool band from the uk that like uh all of us in capstan like really dig uh called sleep token and <laughs> they uh they did uh like their whole full length that they released was like a single at a time for like a really really long rollout like it wasn't necessarily like they didn't announce it as an album right they just put like all these singles out and i thought that was really cool um but they definitely did it over a very long period of time so um ours is more like a traditional rollout because it was like we announced a record when we put out the first single and then you know they're not spread out too far from each other but uh, I, I definitely thought it was really cool the way they approached that. Do you read album reviews? Like, I mean, like reviews of your albums. Uh, I don't no. do. I, I don't. To, just to clarify, just so you know, I have no skin in the game whatsoever. I think album reviews are a load of shit. Um, I, I used to review them, and like, they literally you would get posted out the cell lamp. You would get posted out a CD. And you would have a day to turn it around before it went into the magazine. And so you'd listen to it like three or four times and then be like, oh, I don't know, the baseline's a little bit heavy. And you'd sort of <laughs> pontificate about something that you know fuck all about. But you didn't get paid and you got free music and occasionally concert tickets. So like I know that they're bullshit, but I'm always curious about how like people that are making this stuff interact with them. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll read some here and there. I don't really go out of my way to do it. Um, like sometimes someone else in the band or like Jesse will send in, in our group text thread will like send like a, a review that they thought was either funny or like uh, really scathing. <laughs> we always like to laugh at those. 
Um, but I do like to read YouTube comments because <laughs> you get a lot of yeah, a lot of uh, <laughs> really interesting things that people have to say on there. And like, I've watched one or two like YouTube reaction videos to like some of the singles we put out, but like I know there are more, and I I don't really care. But like, uh, it's always funny to me to see like. I feel like typically, especially with things like YouTube reactions is like the people who have like at least semi successful YouTube channels and like a little bit of like views and, and, and subscribers and stuff like that, like uh, who seem more professional, those people typically always have good things to say about us. And then like the people who are really just want to tear us apart, there's like five views on their video or something like that. It's like really poor camera quality. I saw one and it was just like, uh, they just like shit on the song the whole time. <laughs> it was like these two guys like, this is absolutely terrible. <laughs> like, I was like, damn. But like they had like eight views on the video. I was like, okay, I see why because like, I don't know. I YouTube definitely has a lot of negativity, but I get the feeling that not too many people just want to like watch people shit on something. Like <laughs> it's like, uh, what's the fun in that? <clears throat> I, feel, I feel like YouTube reviews, uh, uh, YouTube reacts rather, are kind of like watching unboxing videos for like video games. <laughs> and it's like, here we have a case, and here we have a game, and the video takes like ten minutes, and you're just kind of go, what the fuck am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> but also like why am i watching someone react to something that i can listen do i need them to tell me how to respond it's a weird uh it's some matrix I could, just, shit. I could do this myself i could just <laughs> listen to it and react <laughs> uh, i, I want to see capstan reacts to capstan <laughs> Well, we it, it's funny we've joked about uh one thing we're going to do is like cuz we we have a, a a Patreon and one of the things we do for like our our patrons on there is uh we do a podcast monthly and we always just kind of talk about silly stuff and riff but uh we were going to do an episode now after the album's dropped to where we uh we <laughs> we read all of the really bad YouTube comments about us and like read all the scathing reviews um and I think that's really funny because so many of them are just like, uh, they're not based in any type of, uh, any type of logic or not, not even logic. That's like, they're just like, they don't make any points. They're just like, they're usually just like, this is bad. <laughs> like, it's just really funny to me. Like, um, because somebody said to me uh, a while ago, or I heard somebody say, and I, I, I live by this. I haven't posted a negative comment about anything in the, in like probably 10 years, like since I was like a 20 year old shithead. Right. So like it, why, why say something bad on the internet about something you don't like when you could just as easily go say something good about something that you do like? Yeah. Fucking A. I mean, that is. It's actually really philosophical, isn't it? It's it's like why <laughs> like why waste that energy? Like why yeah. Man, why not just be a positive person instead of a dick? <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> the PR guy's gonna be calling me like, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> I think I, I think you have incredibly thick skin. I think that's like I I mean I got someone commenting on on my shit once like this isn't punk rah, 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 and I was like I mean okay 
like thanks <laughs> and i think i messaged back and i was like thanks so much like if you want a hug like just hit me up or something <laughs> and they were not happy about that at all that's but a great response yeah it's just like it just sounds like you need a cuddle you know <laughs> <laughs> who hurt you i don't know how you found this but like you did and it's clearly not your jam so like let's just have a hug and move on yeah <laughs> <clears throat> But dude, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you for coming, and I hope you've had a good time. I've had a really good time, so I, I appreciate yeah, you hanging absolutely. out. absolutely. No, this has been great, and uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, so yeah, thanks so much. My my pleasure, man. Now I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go and tweet nice things at people. <laughs> there you go. I should do the same. <laughs> All right, sounds like a deal. Have a good night, my friend. So there you have it. That was my conversation with Joe from Capstan chatting about their new album, Separate, YouTube comments, up and coming bands, and so much other stuff. Thank you for hanging out with me on this episode. It was an absolute joy to bring it to you, actually. Um, I thought Joe was a real sweetheart and just such a nice, great guy. And I think that's one of the coolest things about doing this podcast is they say never meet your heroes, but I mean, when all of your heroes are badass people, why wouldn't you want to meet them, right? So that does bring us to the end of the first season of the more than punk podcast after almost a year of back-to-back episodes i'm going to be taking a bit of a break i'll be back probably we'll see no i'll be back um, and i'm really excited to bring some more interviews and some more bands to you i think it's going to be epic the way things are shaping up towards the tail end of this year albums tours is setting us up nicely for an awesome year next year so i'm really excited about that Thanks for coming and listening while I'm gone. Keep listening. Tell a friend. Hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, whatever your poison is, I will be kicking about. So this has been fun um, and I will see you all again soon.